Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, though, by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's waste no time. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start. This was last Friday, actually, at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. It was an MTK Global show. I was there in attendance for it. It was also streamed live on IFL TV's YouTube channel. Now, let me just go down this bill. There's not too much in terms of breaking stuff down, but the results themselves. Uh, Hamza Shiraz, he moved to 4-0, and a points win over four rounds against uh, the, the Wiley veteran, Miguel Aguilar. Aguilar was also down in the second round. Hamza Shiraz improving all the time, a real good fighter, and... Um, the way that he, you know, he uses his distance, his his judge of distance is really good. He's got a real bright future, Hamza Shiraz. Um, also on the bill, Harley Ben. He actually moved to four and zero. Oh. This is the um, the fourth fight out of four fights that I've been ringside for for Harley Ben. So I've seen all of his fights um, as a pro, and he, like I say, moved to four and zero oh here. A points win against a guy who was one and twenty-one called Rudolf Durica. Now this guy Durica, he was so slow that you could have possibly. While he was throwing a right hook, you could have probably done a press-up and then jumped back up to your feet and ducked it before he got anywhere near you with the punch. He was so slow, he had no power, and he was one of the worst journeymen I've ever, ever seen. Um, Unbelievably, he was able to hit Harley Ben quite a lot, and in the end, over four rounds, Harley Ben got the points win, but it was 39-38, I believe, so just by one point, so a razor, razor, razor tight um, you know, decision there in favour of Harley Ben. Boy, oh boy. Um, also on the bill, Boy Jones Jr., talking of boys, he moved to 17 wins. He's got one loss and one draw. It was a points win over four rounds against Johnson Tellez, who's now 9-39 and 39 with five draws. I was actually, like I say, at this bill, but I had to leave because, um, you know, there was too many fights on the bill, and it ended up going on past, I think it went on past um, about, I think it finished about one in the morning. So I had to leave. Um, I think I left about half 11, so I actually missed three fights, and one of the fights was the Boy Jones Jr. fight. Um, but yeah, like I say, a points win for him. It was crazy the way that they did it. There was just simply too many fights on the bill, and too many fights went the distance, because um, I've never been to a boxing show before where there's been absolutely no interval. I'm talking as soon as a fight was finished, as soon as they announced the decision... The fighters were out the ring. There was no break, not even a two-minute break. Straight away, the fighters were making their ring walks. And in some cases, the fighters didn't even have any time for a ring walk. They were literally sitting ringside with their boxing kit and their bottle of water and bucket, ready to get in the ring as soon as the fight literally finished. Um, 
But yeah, moving up the bill or down the bill, once again, Danny Dignam, he moved to 7-0, and a TKO in the second round against Konstantin Alexandrov, who's now 6-34 and with three draws, a journeyman, of course. Danny Dignam, the, uh, well, the, the only, there was, there was two knockouts on the entire bill. Danny Dignam got one of them. Uh, also on the bill, Sammy McNess, he returned to the ring, of course. He moved to nine wins inside ten fights. He's got one loss. It was a points win against Peter Alexandrov. I'm guessing that could probably be the brother of Konstantin Alexandrov that I just mentioned took on Danny Dignam. But anyway, Sammy McNess brought a real healthy crowd with him. All the West Ham supporters really loud in there. He's got a lot of support, as expected. Um... A good win for him, really. He seemed a little bit frustrated at times, but he'd done the job pretty, pretty easily. Um, Dan Aziz, he moved to 5-0. and A guy that I didn't really know too much about before this fight, but he did take on my favourite journeyman, Adam Jones. Adam Jones came up short, a four-round points win for Dan Aziz. Adam Jones didn't really look the best he's looked in the past, to be honest. Um, Larry Ekandeo, he got a win over 12 rounds against John Fane. Um, John Fane, a former opponent of Bradley Skeet. Larry Ekandeo, a former opponent of Gary Corcoran. 13-1, now 14-1 Ekandeo. It was actually for a title. It was for the vacant IBF European welterweight title. John Fane, 17-3. Now 17-4. He's a real tough guy, John Fane. I'm not sure what happened to his nose, but it was bloodied severely early on in that fight. And he battled through, and there was blood everywhere. And to be honest, he was losing quite handily, in my opinion, even though the, the scorecards were a lot closer than I had it. I felt that his corner, you know, had a had a chance, really, to pull him out a few times. Um, Larry Ekandeo fought quite well, to be honest. He's a very tough fighter. Everybody knows that. He's no, you know, he's no easy fight for anyone. I know that he's at 147 here, but... I would love to see him take on a senior Byfield, even though he's at 154. I think their clash of styles will be just a brilliant, brilliant fight. Both very clever fighters. Um, and I'm leaving this fight here. Even though it wasn't the main event, I'm going to leave this to last because it was the absolute best fight of the night by a million miles. We have, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, I'm going to have a go here. C.R. Osgall. He was 14-0. and 0. He was the Southern Area Super Lightweight Champion. He took on a guy called Mikey Saki, who I'd never heard of. 5-2. and two. Now, this fight here was so, so, so brilliant. Because I was sitting there ringside, like I say, and... When this fight was taking place, there were there were many, many, many Turkish supporters, of course, supporting um, supporting Osgul. He's he's got the Turkish heritage, and Mikey Saki didn't have much support, to be honest. He's a guy that's being trained by Dominic Negus, and um, you know he came out in the first round. He's quite a cute boxer, uh, Mikey Saki. But the thing with some of the you know some of the moves he had, he didn't really have much power. And I don't think he had the best gas tank, really. And in my opinion, he probably lost every single round. And if it wasn't every single round, it was certainly um, very one-sided in favour of Osgul. Now, for the whole entire fight, this guy was standing up in front of me shouting, Come on, Mikey! Come on, Mikey! 
And I think it may have been the guy's brother. I'm not 100% sure on that. But this guy was just shouting for this guy, Mikey. And just, just to make the story a little bit nicer, let's just say it was his younger brother. So his younger brother's standing up. Come on, Mikey. Come on, Mikey. For the whole fight, even though his brother's losing, and he just didn't stop shouting it out. He was supporting him through thick and thin in that fight. And he had his girlfriend with him as well. And I'm kind of guessing the story that he's probably gone, yeah, you know, my brother's fighting at York Hall. I'm going to bring you along. He's, you know, he's got a good fight. He's going to win. He's going to win. And he was losing everything. I'm feeling really bad for this, for this young guy. And um, all of a sudden in the, you know, well, in fact, during the fight, during the fight, he took a bit of a beat in. And then I think he got hit in the back of the head. And the referee um, told Mikey Saki to go in the neutral corner while he had a little bit of a word with Osgall. Now, at that point, Mikey Saki just looked up for the first time. And he, I think he clocked his brother, um, who who was standing up for the whole fight. And he, he just, he realized he was there. And I think all of a sudden, the fight left his, his thoughts for a moment. And... His, his eyes lit up. It was like he was happy to see his younger brother there supporting him. But at that moment, his younger brother didn't acknowledge that his brother had seen him. Trying not to make this so confusing or long-winded. But I saw the whole moment. He was so happy to see this guy there. And I thought, do you know what? I'd like to see him do well. But he's lost every round. He's 5-2. and two. This guy's undefeated, 14-0. and 0. Anyway, in the final round, Mikey Saki's got nothing left at all. And this this Turkish guy, he wants to try and finish good here. So he's really going for it. He's really up the tempo. And it's like I say, it's the tenth and final round. Both men are going toe to toe. It's the best round of the fight. All of a sudden, Mikey Saki lands. They're both trading at the same time, and he got his punch there first. Smash! He hits Osgul. Osgul's wobbling all over the place. A brilliant shot. He didn't go down. And um Mikey Saki, all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's smelt blood now, and out of nowhere, he gets this, this adrenaline rush. That can be the only thing, because he had nothing left. And he's really pushing the punches out. He didn't have much in them at all. He was just trying to go for it, desperately trying to get him out of there. And then Jeff Hines, the referee, jumps in and stops it. And I tell you what, I jumped out of my seat. I was screaming. I tell you what, Mikey Saki, he's the new Southern Area Super Lightweight Champion. He's got a record of 6-2. and two. It doesn't sound great, but I tell you what, this guy showed so much heart, I couldn't believe it. And I tell you what, York Hall once again delivers. There's always a cracking fight at York Hall. And this this fight here just was the best fight of the night. It was so brilliant. And for those that didn't see it, I think it's still up on IFL TV. Please go and check the fight. It was such a dramatic finish. Even the way that Dominic Negus jumped into the ring afterwards. The emotion in his face could almost bring tears to your eyes. It was beautiful. And... Um, yeah, I just I just loved it. It was it was brilliant. I mean, th- there's always that that uh, that high intensity at some point during the night at York Hall, and this fight had it all. It was such a roller coaster, but this guy came through. And I tell you what, the only thing that he had was heart, and heart won in that fight. And I just want to wish him all the very best. He's picked up a new fan in me for sure. Leaving York Hall though, and moving over now to Germany at the Baden Arena in Wartenberg, we have our very own Zach Parker. He moved to 16 and 0. I was saying last week it was very interesting because he was taking on a guy called Gerd. Ajetovic, 
who in his last fight lost to former world champion Sakio Bika. But Ajetovic, even though his record was 31-17 and 17 with one draw, he'd never been stopped. We thought that perhaps Zach Parker could stop him, but he didn't in the end. He ended up shutting him out, though, over eight rounds. A unanimous decision there for our very own Zach Parker. A true, true threat in the super middleweight division. Also on this bill, the main event, Tyrone Zuiga, 22-0 and 0 with one draw, took on our very own Rocky from Stockholm. Rocky Fielding, a fifth round TKO, a humongous upset in Germany here. Rocky Fielding becomes the new WBA world super middleweight champion. Zoig was down in that fifth round. And then, of course, his cornerman, Jürgen Bremer, who, to be honest, is not even retired. And he's possibly an opponent in the future for Rocky Fielding. He threw the towel in. Unbelievable eyes. We all went with a Zoiga points win. We were all incredibly wrong, but incredibly happy at the same time. That belt came back to the UK. Tell us. Yes. Um, what, what a story for Rocky Fielding. First of all, um, I remember watching his fight against Callum Smith, and Callum Smith just beat him up, dropped him in the first round. Obviously, um, he lost that fight. Rocky Fielding, a lot of people said that in, um, his career wasn't going as we expected. Um, he was, obviously was winning these uh, little little fights, right? Like uh, um, he was winning like these British British uh, British level fights, and obviously there was a rumor that he was meant to fight Gilberto Ramirez, but unfortunately Gilberto Ramirez pulled out the fight, went on to fight someone else. Now, obviously we saw Tyrone Zuga face uh, Paul Smith in his last fight, and he beat Paul Smith. Obviously Rocky Fielding going into this fight coming came in as an underdog, and obviously even last week in the show I said. I don't see Rocky Fielder winning this fight. I don't. I, I can't see him winning a world title. I admit that myself. And in the fight, you can see Rocky Fielder using his weight, his strength, his size, and he was beating Zoiga up. And obviously, look, fifth round, what did he do? He beat him. He dropped him down in the fifth round. But I've got to say, I've got to give huge credit to Jamie Moore, Nigel Travis, and, and Oliver Harrison for what they've done. But uh, well done to Rocky Fielder. And now, I think he's going to get the big fights like the James DeGales. He may even get his rematch with Callum Smith again, or he may even fight George Gross for the another for the other WBA belt. But well done to Rocky Fielding. Yeah, just want to quickly reflect on the fight itself. I just want to reiterate a little bit on what you said there. I felt that the first round was quite cagey. I think that the commentators said that Zoiga probably edged the first and second rounds, but I didn't agree with that. I think that Rocky definitely took the third round for sure, but I still felt that the you know the first and second were quite close. But I'd probably edge them to Rocky. And then in the fourth round, that was where Rocky really started to take over. He really started to get on top. Um, you know, we saw brilliant shot selection from him. He really brought it to Zoiga. And I was quite surprised to see, um, at that point, Jürgen Bremer in the corner. That was the first time when I'd seen him in the corner. I thought, what's he doing there? And then, of course, in the fifth round, Fielding just seemed to... I mean, he couldn't miss Zoiga at one point, and Zoiga couldn't deal with the pressure, like you say, Ayaz. Um, Rocky was using his size really good. He was fighting on the inside, but he was still, he was, he, you know, he was leaning on him. He was leaning back. He was using his legs quite well, and Fielding ended up landing a humongous left uppercut, which staggered Zoiga. And then, like I say, Rocky just jumped on him, made Zoiga take a knee, and then the towel got thrown in by Zoiga's corner, and. Um, one thing that I noticed after the fight, which was really weird, because going into the fight, I thought Zoiga was going to win when they were in the ring, you know, before the fight had started. I felt that Zoiga was going to win when they were in the first and second rounds. I thought that Zoiga was going to win. But after the fight, 
that's where I thought, what is up with this guy? Because he didn't really seem too upset about losing his world title. Wise. Did you notice that? He seemed like he was walking around the ring quite happy that the fight was over. And almost like he wasn't too sad to see his belt go. Did you pick up that vibe at all? Or is that just me? I did not see that. Okay, well maybe it was just me. Anyway, moving over now to the Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana, USA. Of course, the homecoming of Regis Pro Grey. Um, bringing big boxing back to New Orleans. Let's start with the main event here. There's not too much on the undercard, to be honest. Um, Regis Progre, he had a record of 21-0. It's now 22-0. He successfully defended his interim WBC World Super Lightweight title against Juan Velasco, who was 20-0. A little bit of a padded record, to be honest, Velasco. But a TKO came in the eighth round, Diaz. Um... Velasco was also down in the 5th round, in the 7th round, and then also in the 8th round. Um, I know that you didn't know too much about Pro Grey before, Ayaz, but I promise you, you need to check this guy out. It's not just a you know a promising prospect that's coming up and then, you know, is he that good, is he that good? No, this guy's the real deal, so certainly, you know, keep your eye on him. You went with a Pro Grey points win. It was probably a bit of a guess from you. I pretty much knew he'd get the knockout. So did the listeners, so we both gain a point there myself and the listeners um moving over now to the final bill to mention actually of the review part of the show a couple fights on the undercard but we'll be going over to kuala lumpur in malaysia i could be saying that that destination slightly wrong but anyway carlos canizales 20 and 0 with one draw he took on bin lu who was only one and oh this one was for the world boxing association wba world light flyweight title um, Bin Lu was down once in the 11th round and then he was TKO'd in the 12th round so um, another weird thing there because Bin Lu was trying to you know he was trying to be great and win a world title in just his second fight that which which would have been quicker than Vasyl Lomachenko but he just couldn't do it Bin Lu a good win there for Carlos Canizales 21-0 with one draw Moving up the bill once again, we have, this one was for the interim WBA World Featherweight title, Jack Tapora, 21-0, took on Eddie Valdo Ortega, who was 26-1 with one draw. Ortega was down and TKO'd in round nine, so a good win there for Jack Tapora. But the main event, the main event, the main event, Lucas Martin Matisse, Ayaz, searching for win number 40, his record 39-4, and Manny Pacquiao 59-7 and with two draws, it was for Matisse's WBA World Welterweight title. Talk us through the fight, Ayaz, a brilliant, brilliant fight going in, I mean, we, we both said it was pretty much a 50-50 fight, and... I was quite shocked. I'm not sure if it was how good Pacquiao was or how bad Matisse was, but Manny Pacquiao rolled back the clock and looked like the Manny of old for me. Well, what can I say? Manny Pacquiao dropped him three downs in the fight, wasn't it? Is it the second round he dropped him, sorry? I think it was the third, fifth and seventh. Yeah, third third, third round dropped him. Fifth round dropped him. Seventh round, he dropped him badly with the uppercut. But I've got to say, Manny Pacquiao, this is Manny Pacquiao's first knockout in over 10 years. We've seen I him think win. It was almost nine years. It was almost so, nine. almost nine years. But um, you got to give Manny Pacquiao credit. He's how old is he? Thirty? Is that thirty nine? I think. Yeah, I think. I think he's thirty nine. Yeah. Yeah, thirty nine years old. He's still boxing. He's. I Freddie Roachson trained with him this finally because he trained with his Bobby. It wasn't it Bobby. Yeah, Boo Boy. I think his name is. Yeah, Boo Boy. Yeah, and he trained with him. A lot of people thought like, yeah, Matisse is going to win this fight. It's his first defense. 
But I've got to say, it was a very tough defence, obviously, for Mitise, having four a legend, which is Manny Pacquiao, and a future Hall of Famer in the boxing. But well done to Manny Pacquiao. I mean, he's won this fight. Um, who does he, where does he go from here now? And obviously, there's rumours that he could fight Amir Khan next. There's rumours that he could fight Lomachenko at, at catchweight at 135, or he could fight uh, Terence Crawford. To be honest, if I was at Manny Pacquiao, I would go for the Amir Khan fight. I would go for like these big fights. I mean, he said... Manny Pacquiao said himself he's only got like four or five left in him. In my opinion, um, I think what he's true. But I've got to say, well done for him for a very good fight. Very tough. He had a very tough fight. But uh, well done to Manny Pacquiao once again. Yeah, yeah. I come to what he's going to do next just after this. The fight itself, I took quite a quite a few notes on this one. Pacquiao came out firing in the first round. I was, I was really shocked, actually, at his willingness to stand there and trade with Matisse. But he was very, he was very smart with the way he was fighting. Um, the speed was still there. That's the most important thing. He was letting his his backhand go way more regularly than I'd you know I'd expected or anticipated. The crowd were loving it there. They really were. Every single time he'd try and throw a shot, even if it missed, the crowd would go wild. So I felt that Manny started really well. I think that Manny got the second round also. Um, you know, a good round for him. More of the same, really. In the third round, Pacquiao got hit with a left hand from Matisse, and then he responded brilliantly by dropping Matisse with a left uppercut. It was brilliant. It really was. He got hit with a shot, and then he was like, "Oh, hang on, let me try and hurt you now." Boom, left uppercut, and then Matisse's on the deck. Uh, the shot was actually set up with. It was so quick. I I don't even know. I've 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 I've, I've rewound it a few times and and watched replays, and I don't know if he through the right jab to set it up, or if it was just a feint. It was so quick that I don't even know if the punch landed or not. Um, you know, Matisse got back up. He didn't seem hurt badly, to be honest. And Pacquiao continued to dominate that third round. In the fourth round, once again, Manny was too quick, and he was beating Lucas to the punch time and time again. In the fifth round, Manny started really, really well. But in the later part of the round, Matisse landed a few good shots himself. He was finally starting to get through. But then after two light jabs from Pacquiao, followed by what didn't really look like a huge shot to Matisse's temple, Matisse at that point unexpectedly took a knee. It was very weird. Um, There was only about 13 seconds or something left in the round as well, which was a bit of a shame, to be honest. It then made it, you know, the second 10-8 round in Manny Pacquiao's favour of the fight. And Matisse on my card at that point needed to win every single round just to make it a draw. Um, even though I didn't, I don't think Lucas Matisse goes into fights thinking about scorecards or anything like that. He never looks to win on points. But yeah, Lucas really looked like he was feeling the pace even after the round. Like when he was sitting on his stool, he seemed like he he'd had a hard round in that fifth round there. And then, like I say, in the sixth round, Matisse probably had his best round of the fight at that point. He tried to give it his all. He didn't. He didn't do enough to. Um, to, to win the round, I don't think. I think Manny's output was really good. At, you know, he kind of matched him and bettered him a little bit. But it was certainly Matisse's best round by a mile. Um, it was a good round, by the way, that sixth round. And then in the seventh round, like I say, Manny was showcasing more great speed, more great footwork. And with 22 seconds to go, he dropped Matisse with the same shot he dropped him with earlier. The left uppercut once again set up by a right jab. This one did connect. Matisse falls to his knees. He waited there for about four seconds. Then he spat out his gum shield and he was done and this time the referee Kenny Bayless waved it off Manny Pacquiao is back to be honest he looked as good as he's looked in at least the last five or six years and he's ended like like you say there Ayaz that 
that almost nine-year streak with no knockout. He's a world champion again, and he's just a living legend. He truly is. I'm so happy that he's back. Matisse is a tough guy, and I'm a huge fan of him, so a little bit of me felt quite sorry for him that he lost his world title in his very first defense, and also in the fashion that he lost it in. It was just simply Manny's night at the end of the day. Brilliant to have him back, Ayaz. Like I say, he really rolled back the clock. He got a knockout. And Matisse is no slouch. I mean, Matisse, even though he's probably over the hill, he's still a tough, tough South American fighter. And one punch can turn your lights out. It doesn't matter if you're Pacquiao or anyone. You know, he's got he's got that absolute destroying wrecking ball of a right hand. And he wasn't able to land it. He didn't even get close. I don't think he landed one right hand the whole fight. So a brilliant performance from Pacquiao. Where does he go next? I think that that calm fight could potentially happen. And I think it's probably his best option in terms of money. I think he he could possibly beat Khan. I think Khan could possibly beat him. And it's an intriguing one, to say the least. It's speed against speed. Um, I would like to see that fight. And I tell you what, as obviously we know if the fight were to happen, it's 100% going to be pay-per-view. But is that a fight, you know, we don't know what's going to be on the undercard, but is that a fight where you'd happily pay for pay-per-view on that? Because I think I certainly would. I think that's a brilliant fight. A few yes. years too late, but it's great. Yes, I'd definitely pay pay-per-view for that fight. I think it's a very tremendous fight. Yeah, for sure. But that really wraps up the reviewing. So just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do, of course, is to welcome... Our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated IBF lightweight champion of the world, Mr. Robert Easter Jr. Robert, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, Robert, firstly, I just want to say that it's a pleasure having you on the show. Obviously, you know, you captured the IBF world title in September 2016 against Richard Comey, who's a real good fighter. You've defended it three mm-hmm. times successfully. Lewis Cruz, Dennis Shafikov, and Javier Fortuna most recently. I want to ask you just yeah. quickly, um, that Fortuna win, it was a hard-fought fight, one where I felt at, at the time kind of thing you probably learned a lot from it. Am I right in saying that? Um... Really didn't learn nothing from the fight, but only just to uh, stick to my game plan when I have one and uh, not fight another person's fight. You know, that fight was a uh, – it was dumb to me because how he was fighting. But like I said, I fought his fight and made it tougher. Yeah, fair point, fair point. And what I admire about you, Robert, is the fact that, you know, pretty much since you won the belt, you've said that you will fight anybody, and not many people are queuing up to fight the likes of Mikey Garcia. You're going to be fighting him next weekend at the Staples Center. How excited are you for this huge fight, and what do you know about Mikey as a fighter, Robert? I'm very excited for these fights. You know, um, at first, another champions mentioned me, or wanted to fight me, you know, so now it's time that they, well... Now it's time that he had to fight me. So, um, what I know about Mikey is, um, I guess he won all his fights, <laughs> and he's uh, doing he's doing his thing. But uh, other than that, I don't know much about him. You know, just, he's another champion in, in a way. You know, he claims he's one of the best in uh, the one thirty five lightweight division, and I'm coming to prove everybody wrong, show everybody that I'm one of the best. And I am the best in this 135 lightweight division. And of course, you've posted on your social media pages recently that you're going to make this fight easy. Many would argue that the win against Fortuna wasn't so easy. You said it yourself, you kind of fought to his fight. Mikey's a completely different fighter, of course. Styles make fights. But what do you need to do, Robert, to make this fight as easy as 
you know, as easy as you believe it can be for you? Um, like I said, fight my fight, use my height, use my reach and my speed, and it will make every fight easy. You know, like I said, that Batuna fight, it was a difficult fight because I made it difficult. Not because he made it difficult. I made it difficult because I fought his fight. And of course, you've got a well-documented close affiliation with Adrian Broner. He's a man that gave a brilliant display against Mikey Garcia, but he came up short. Has he been able to provide you with some key advice in the build-up in this fight? He really must didn't tell me a lot um, because, you know, he understands. See, Adrian, he's, he's a tough love kind of kind of guy, you know. He, he shows me tough love. You know, not he, he basically, you know, uh, when it came down to camp, he let me figure out things on my own. You know, that's what a professional fighter is supposed to do. And um, pretty much told me just keep working hard, keep working hard, stay in shape, and fight my fight. I don't think he told me he didn't tell me anything about Mikey, but just fight my fight, do what I know how to do best, and use my height and my reach. And of course, Mikey's known as a power puncher. You've also shown us time and time again that you know exactly how to finish a fight early too. Do you believe this fight come July 28th will go 12 rounds, or do you think something will, will, you know, will will end it early? (laughs) I mean, Mikey's a power puncher. I mean, everybody I've faced since Kami's been a power puncher. He's a a good puncher too. (laughs) Everybody's a good puncher with gloves on that got two fists, you know, I'm a tire puncher, you know, it's just some fights, like I said, if you don't execute them how you pose to a fight your fight, you come out, some some fighters may survive other than uh, survive, but like I said, when I fight my fight, you know, I will come out victorious. And of course, without looking too far ahead, in an ideal world, you will beat Mikey on the 28th. You'll then have two world titles in the lightweight division. You can then really start dictating things because you'd, you know, you'd have the biggest share of the main belts in, you know, in that cat- in that weight category. Would you be looking at trying to capture more belts at lightweight after that, or would you possibly be looking at moving up, or is it a little bit too early to really answer that question? Of, of course, of course, um, I want all the belts in the lightweight division. You know, and if it's possible, some other uh, big moves up in the next weight class, we can take those moves as well. I'm sit down with my management and my team, you know, and come up with uh, the best moves for me. And coming down to the last couple questions now, Robert, I want to ask you, you must have sparred some real good fighters over the years. What are some of the big-name guys that you've shared a ring with in the gym? Of course, Adrian Bronner, um, Lamont Peterson, Anthony Peterson. Uh, I I forget some other names, but it's a big, um, big time champion. You know, I, I've sparred with over the years. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And I really wanted to ask you two more questions, Robert. I don't know if you if you follow UK boxing too much, but I do like to ask this question whenever we speak to somebody from overseas. Do you have a, a mm-hmm. favorite UK fighter at all right now, or perhaps from history? David Hay, I like him. Everyone, everyone likes David Hay. I mean, what did you like best about yeah. David Hay? Uh, just his style, you know. He has a unique style. And uh, Eubanks, too. I like him, too. You like you know, they got unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got unique styles. I like them. 
Yeah, they certainly did. And like I say, I know that we're a bit strapped for time, Robert, so I want to end it with this. I just wanted to really give you an opportunity to send out a message to your UK fans. Believe it, you've got quite a few guys over here that are rooting for you. And of course, you know, after this fight, many, many more are going to come on board. What's your message to your UK supporters? Oh, yeah. uh, UK fans, I love you. I, I love the support. And uh, keep supporting and I'm fighting for you guys as well. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent, my man. Well said, well said. And to follow you on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, I believe it's Robert Easter underscore junior, correct? Correct. Excellent. Okay, listen, Robert, it's been my pleasure, my, my friend, speaking to you this week. Best of luck for the 28th. Thank you for giving us some of your time so close to the fight, and we'll catch up sometime soon. All right, thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Ayaz, what do you have for us? It's the news part, of course. What do you have for us? Joe Joyce has split up with his trainer, Ishmael Salas. Yeah, I think Ishmael Salas has moved. Um, he's emigrated to Doha, I believe, um, which I think is in Qatar. Have I got that right? Do you know? Do you know if that's for sure? Or yes, that's correct. Yeah. Doha's in Qatar. Yeah, it's a shame because I think that um, you know he 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 and Joe were really gelling and really looking like you know a force to be reckoned with. To be honest, Joe's not really got the time on his side we all know he's got to kind of be rushed now because he's you know the age and all that kind of thing and it's a shame because he was really gelling with him they were looking really good he's knocked everyone out that he's fought and then it's it's a bit of a disruptive thing now he's got to go and find another trainer hopefully that that you know not only does all the boxing come together on the night but he needs to find someone that he's going to be very comfortable with trust in with um, and he needs to really put his career in the hands of another trainer it's hard to go and find someone like that when you desperately need it right now because he's been so active and he needs it now he needs to find a trainer really in the next couple weeks because he could probably have a fight you know in, in a few weeks time and it's not enough time to settle down with a trainer so I feel a bit sorry for Joe Joyce it seems like now David Hayes gone and he's you know he's all the big money that Salas would have been making on these pay-per-view fights back-to-back with David Hay, um, even though he wasn't part of the first one. But this, you know, he, he of course sailed off into the sunset a little bit with the big payout for the Bellu 2 fight. And it seems like he's not really interested in, in anything else. I mean, it could be that. It could just be because he's, you know, he's quite old Salas and he's been around the block and he's been here, there and everywhere in all different continents. So he's certainly allowed to just call it a day and, and enjoy the rest of his life but yeah it's a shame it's just a shame for Joe that's all I feel for him and um, you know I want to see him back out as soon as possible and when he does make the move and he does link up with a new trainer I just hope it's a it's a really good one I hope he you know has a great relationship with him and things go really well for him because he's a brilliant fighter. Kel Brook has pulled out his fight against Brandon Cook as he's had an ankle injury yeah, that fight was set for the undercard of Joseph Parker and Dillian White. Um, there was there was lots and lots of rumours about Brook being pulled off the card. It's 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 come out now that the rumours were true. So um, yeah, no no fight against against Brandon Cook in the end. But um, yeah, I don't think it was going to be a great fight anyway. To be honest, hopefully they don't make a rematch. But very unlucky for Brook. He seems like he's you know he got to about thirty four and zero. And I'd never heard of him having any kind of injuries. And he, you know, let's be honest, he'd fought complete, not journeyman, but he hadn't really fought on that world level. And then all of a sudden, 
when it comes to getting in the big fights, he had the you know the bad injury pullouts against Devon Alexander. That fight ended up never happening. Then he fought Sean Porter. I think that that had been put off once or twice as well. Um, you know, then he won the world title, gets stabbed, been told he can never walk again. Then he's out the ring for ages. Then he's you know he has some poor defenses of his title. Then he gets injured again. Then he steps in against Golovkin. It's just all gone wrong for him, to be honest. Since winning a world title, he, you know, he's, he seems to get injured. He's had the eye injuries. How did I just leave that out? He's had, you know, he's had two busted eye sockets, one one on each eye. It's just, um, he's just been plagued. He really has. Ever since he stepped up in opposition, he's completely been plagued. Like I say, got to about 34-0, and 0, no problems. And now, he, you know, he's getting injured more than he's fighting, to be honest. So, uh... I want to see him back. I like Kel, but yeah, it's it's bad luck. Bad luck for him once again. And finally, um, Eddie Hearn and Dezan have have announced their fight recruiters for their fights for Matron Boxing USA. The first one is heavyweight Joe Miller. The second one, IBF light heavyweight champion Arthur Bertibeef. The third is um, WBA super bantamweight champion Daniel Roman. The fourth is former two-weight world champion Jesse Vargas, Irish sensation and female IBF WBA lightweight champion and 2012 Olympic gold medalist Katie Taylor, former world light middleweight champion Dimitris Andrade, WBA super lightweight champion Maurice Hooker, and there were other fighters that were announced today. Yeah, a few amateurs as well that, um, I can't remember the names right now, but, you know, they're turning pro with him. Um, firstly, I as Obviously, we've heard a lot about this big, you know, this big billion pound or billion dollar deal, whatever it is. And we've been promised all these things about these superstars signing with Eddie Hearn. We've heard the likes of Adrian Broner signing with him. We've heard the likes of Mikey Garcia signing with him. We've heard the likes of Deontay Wilder signing with him. And it's come to the announcements earlier this week. And, I mean, I'm looking at this list here. And let's be completely frank here. Um, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, as far as I knew, he was already with Eddie Hearn. Katie Taylor, as far as I knew, she was already with Eddie, Eddie Hearn. That's that's news to me. I know it's like they're not with Eddie Hearn, they're with the zone. I understand that. But, I mean, you know, those two being there, I, I just didn't... I mean, I don't understand why. Um, you know, they're going to be on Eddie Hearn's shows. Nothing changes there. And, like you said, Baturbiev, yeah, he's, he's a quality fighter. He's probably... Is he probably the best out of the lot? I'm trying to think of the other guys. You know, um, I certainly think Demetrius Andrade's right up there. Even though he's not had the exposure that he deserves. He's a brilliant, brilliant fighter. Still undefeated, of course. I think he's out of him and and Baturbiev. I mean, Baturbiev doesn't speak English. And Demetrius Andrade, not many people know him. He's a good fighter. But, you know, where are the superstars I as? Where's the Mikey Garcias? Where's the Adrian Broners? Where's the... You know, all these other... Where's the Charlos? Where's where's the Ante Wilder? Are you a little bit underwhelmed by it? Yes, I got a bit... Um, I'm, I'm a bit underwhelmed. Because I thought he said he's going to make some big, big announcements. Uh, big stars. Fair enough. Um, you got... Like, for me, I think the the one that stands out the most for that fighter... Is, for me, is Jesse Vargas. Yeah, but I mean, he's a, he's a big name because he's took on... Um, you know, Manny Pacquiao... And Adrian Broner, but he's lost both of those. Was it a draw with Broner? Was it a draw, draw with Broner and lost to Pacquiao? He lost to Pacquiao, yeah. He got dropped about, I don't even... How many times did he get dropped in that fight? He got dropped a few times, didn't he? I think so. 
I think he got dropped a few times. But anyway, he lost very, very handily to Pacquiao. Is he even a... I mean, are people, are people desperate to see him fight next? I know that he had a good fight with Brona, fair enough. But, you know, are, are people desperate to see him fight again? I mean, I don't know. It's a billion-pound deal. Like, you know, this, this guy is not in the same league as all these people that, that we've been told about before. Um... I know that Mikey Garcia's fighting not this weekend but the following weekend and maybe there'll be an announcement after that but I don't know, I feel a little bit underwhelmed to be honest um, yeah, and I know that they've announced a bill for you know, for, for October the 6th which will be happening in Chicago which is quite surprising also but that bill will obviously be Arta Baturbiev against Callum Johnson but also on that bill Jesse Vargas will be fighting on it Katie Taylor who's 9 and 0 will be taking on Cindy Serrano who's 27 and 5 with three draws um Serrano's never been stopped by the way she's the sister of Amanda Serrano also on that bill Demetrius Andrade he'll be fighting and also Jarrell Miller I don't know, a little bit underwhelming to be honest. Also, they announced Anthony Joshua. Like again, I just, I just didn't really understand that one. Um, let us know actually on Twitter if you're, you know, if you feel happy about it or underwhelmed or if I'm being harsh, if Iaz is being harsh, just let us know at Box Hard Podcast on Twitter. But is that it for the news, Iaz? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you, Iaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start in a place called the Place Bell in Quebec, Canada. One fight to mention on this bill, Iaz, and this is quite unbelievable. Former world champion John Pascal, 32-5 with one draw. I think he's ranked number 9 or 10 in the world with a WBA. Um, He briefly retired. He's back. He's taking on a guy called Steve Bosset, who's 1-0. That's a 10-rounder there. I can't quite believe that. Moving over now to the Winner Vegas Casino and Resort in Iowa, USA. Now, this fight card here, if I'm not mistaken, is being shown on Showtime and also on Box Nation. Um, Yeah, Box Nation have got a show tomorrow night, Friday night, and um, Saturday. So, to have a show on Friday and on Saturday... Featuring all guys that are relatively unknown. I can't quite believe they're not showing the Liam Smith and Jaime Mungia, who Mimi will tell me to pronounce properly. I can't believe that that fight card's not being shown on Box Nation, but they're doing one on Friday and Saturday. That That's just unbelievable. But anyway, this one here, um, hopefully they show this fight, because there's only one real fight to mention on the entire bill for me anyway. The heavyweight. Zalil Zhang, 18-0, the Chinese fighter. He's in a 10-rounder against a guy called Yugen Buchmuller, who is 11-2. Um, once again, I need to see Zhang stepped up, really. I think he's about 35, 36 years of age now, so I want to see him stepped up quite drastically, to be honest. I think he's a former Olympian, a good amateur he was, Zalil Zhang. Moving over now, though, to the Dominican Republic. One fight to mention over here in the Gymnasio Multiuso Nani Marrero. One fight to mention over here. Curtis Stevens, former foe of Gennady Golovkin. His record 29-6. and six. He fights for the vacant IBA middleweight title. <laughs> he takes on Carlos Cruz, who's 18-2. and two. That's it for that one. Moving over now to Hungary. Prince Patel tops the bill. 15-0 and 0 with one draw. He's in an eight-rounder against Julius Kisseror, who's actually 29-5 and five with one draw. This seems like a huge step up for Prince Patel. Possibly this will be the toughest test of his career thus far. That's what we want to see him in. And, um, 
this 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 little show that's happening in Moscow, Russia at the at the Olympiski. I don't know if you've heard about this one, Ayaz, at uh, the top of the bill. Murat Gassiev, 26-0, and and Alexander Usyk, 14-0. Combined records, 40-0, and a 12-rounder for the IBF, WBA, WBC, WBO World Cruiserweight titles. Um, gone under the radar, Ayaz, this one. I don't know if you've heard about this, Bill. What's your thoughts? <laughs> um, I think it's a good fight, but first of all, I want to know what channel is happening in the UK, because I've actually just tweeted this out and saying, what channel will this fight be in, in the UK? It's I think it's going to be ITV pay-per-view, isn't it? Same as before. Has it been confirmed as of yet or no? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've set it up to tape, yeah. Okay. I personally think it's a very good fight, Usyk versus Gassiev, I'll tell you why. Um, they're both very good fighters. Personally, I think, in my opinion, Usyk's going to win. I think Usyk will win a point. I think he'll box and move him. Obviously, he's got Lomachenko's father as his trainer. Usyk is very athletic as well. Murat Gassiev is a very good fighter. He trains with Abel Sanchez, doesn't he? I believe so. Yes, uh, Gassiev is a good, very good fighter, very explosive as well. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Usyk. I think Usyk will win this, and I think he'll vacate. I think once he's won the tournament, I think he'll vacate and move up to heavyweight. Yeah, that'd be the money move. But yeah, I have to agree with you, Ayers. I think Usyk wins on points. So do the listeners. One thing I do want to point out: this is a genuine 50-50 fight. This is a you know a fight card that I'm going to be paying for. It's I think it's 9.95 or 9.99. It's it's just under 10 pounds anyway. But yeah, certainly it's going to be worth the money. Um, Gassiev is so much better than people give him credit for. I don't really know why Usyk's got all the hype behind him and Gassiev doesn't have the same hype. Gassiev, I think, is only 24 or 25 years of age. He's so talented. It's a genuine 50-50. I wouldn't be surprised if anyone won by any method. I think that Gassiev is so tough. And I think that for that reason, Usyk won't be able to stop him. I think Usyk needs to use his size and just kind of keep it moving a little bit and box and move, like you say. Um, I think Gassiev's got the power to, you know, certainly the left hooks that he can throw. He's got the power to really hurt Usyk and vice versa, really. But I don't think Usyk's going to stand there and trade with him. I think it'd be a silly move. I think Usyk's, you know, going to going to use his great footwork, which he has got great footwork, and probably just win a points decision. Um, a brilliant fight, though. I cannot put that into words. It's just, it's you know, potentially the best fight of the year by far. Um, so much on the line for both guys there. Not just undefeated records, not just one or two or three world titles, four world titles. It's you know, simply to to see who is the best fighter bar none at cruiserweight. It's a genuine, genuine unification. It's not even a unification. It's, it's to see who's going to be the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. But yeah, the undercard's quite stacked as well, to be honest. A few names on here. We have Konstantin Ponomarev, 34-0. He's a guy that I've been talking about. He really needs to step up in class. He takes on a guy called Sergei Vorobiev, who's 6-0. This one's for the vacant Russian super welterweight title. Denis Shafakov, 39-4 with one draw, takes on John Gamino, who's 17-10 and 10 with one draw. They're just the kind of like really low part of the bill fights. Um, also, we have Cecilia Bracus, 33-0. She puts her IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC and WBO at World Female Welterweight Titles on the line against Inna Sagai... Oh, gosh. Inna Sagaidakovskaya. 
who's also 7-0. and oh, So um, that would be a good fight there, actually. Barakas was, was decked in her last fight. All the very best to her and Big JB Jonathan Banks in the corner. Also, Andre Sirotkin, he puts his WBA Intercontinental Super Middleweight title on the line. His record 15-0. and oh, He takes on a prospect called Vladimir Shishkin, who's 6-0. and oh, That would be a good fight. Fedor Chudinov, 17-2. and two. He fights um, Najib Mohamedy, who's a former opponent of Sergei Kovalev, his record 40-5. and five. He's moved down from light heavyweight to super middleweight. Um, and this one, like I say, is for the WBA international super middleweight title. Fedor Chudinov, he's always been linked with the WBA. I'd like to see him pushed on. He's a much better fighter than people say he is. His record, like I say, 17-2. and two. A real good bill. A real good bill. Mohamedy's a good fighter as well, so that'd be an interesting fight against Chudinov there. Um, oh yeah, how did I forget? Maris Breedis is also on the undercard. His record 23-1. and one. He's in a 10-rounder. Um, I'm not sure if they've announced the opponent just yet. I think they're just still trying to find one, which isn't a great thing. Um, yeah, at this moment they're still trying to find one, but it'd be good to see him on once again. Obviously, he lost out in the semi-finals. A real good fighter. But yeah, that's it for Russia. Moving over now to Thailand. One fight to mention at the Workpoint Studio in Bang Fun. We have Wiseksa Wangek, also known as Saw Rungvasai. His record 45-4 and four with one draw. He's having his 51st fight against Young Gil Bay, who's 28-6 and six with two draws. It's the homecoming of the... Um, I like to call him the rodent eater, but I'm not being disrespectful. He does love a rodent. He likes to bite into them, um, in, into an unseasoned rodent when he can. Um, it's a 10-rounder there. Like I say, a bit of a homecoming. He hasn't been back fighting in his home, you know, his home country of Thailand since those two back-to-back wins against Chocolatito. So all the very best to him. Moving over now, though, to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. This one, like I say, I cannot believe it's, you know, it's not being shown in the UK. It's, it's criminal, to be honest. It is being shown in the US on HBO. Top of the bill, Jaime Mungia. I has 29-0. He puts his WBO World Super Welterweight title on the line against Liam Smith. 26-1 with one draw. This guy is the man that knocked out Saddam Ali. And, you know, Liam Smith is, is trying to get his old world title back here. He was supposed to take on Saddam Ali. We all thought that Saddam Ali would win. We didn't know anything about this young kid. And this is his chance to move to 30-0. and 0 And once again, even further, solidify himself as a brilliant fighter. Very impressive fighter. We've gone to the predictions on this. We all want Liam Beefy Smith to win. The listeners have gone with Liam Beefy Smith to win by knockout. Um, we all we all really hope so. But how do you see it as... Wait, first of all, they're not showing on Box Nation? No. Wow, that's surprising. Well, um, That's what I'm saying. They're, they're doing a Friday night show and a Saturday night show. Why not just get rid of them both because there's no one big fighting on those cards and just put this one on? Because I'm surprised because Frank Warren promotes Liam Smith. Yeah, exactly. And I'm really confused because when they, Saddam Ali was going to fight, they, they, they had that on Box Nation, he said... Exactly, and not only that, but this actual this whole show is been put together by three promote promoters: Don King, Oscar De La Hoya, and Frank Warren. So he's had a hand in promoting it, but you know he's not putting it on his channel. It makes no sense at all. Well, well, well that's surprising. But yeah, um, I, to be, I'm just gonna say something. Yeah, um, I know the listeners of the listeners have gone to say Liam Smith's gonna win this five one knockout. I'm gonna go the opposite. I think he's gonna get not. I think Liam Smith's getting knocked out. I'll tell you why. 
this guy, um, when he fought Saddam Ali, if you look at the size, this fighter was bigger than Saddam Ali, way bigger than Saddam Ali. And he's much, he's much bigger than Liam Smith as well. And he knocked out uh, Saddam Ali. And I think personally, I think he'll, I think he's going to stop Liam. I think he's going to knock out Liam Smith as well. Fair place to Liam Smith. I mean, he's he's won a world champion. Out of the four Smith brothers, he's the only one that's won a world title. Um, he had two good defenses. Fought Canelo, got knocked out by Canelo. But fair, I mean, good luck to Liam Smith. But I personally, I don't think he'll win the fight. Do you know what I? I oh, this is this is difficult for me now. I'm gonna go with oh, this is this is difficult. Um. He looked so impressive, Mungir, in his last fight, and he's coming off a real string of knockouts. Um, I think it's about five or six in a row that he's got now. But I think, do you know what? I'm I'm gonna go with Mungir on points, and I know that's so courageous. I really know it is. But there's just a little feeling in me that you know, even even though Liam Smith lost every single round to Canelo, it took Canelo nine rounds to get him out of there and even though this guy is arguably a much bigger one punch knockout artist I just think that if it took Canelo nine rounds and he couldn't really miss Liam with a punch I think Liam may just be able to hang on for three more rounds past what Canelo could do and then it would take him to the distance and you know Liam's a lot smarter than people give him credit for as well I think he'll certainly give it a you know give it a real go he's hungry and um, I think that you know, it could potentially go to points. Mungia's been to points four times out of 29 fights. I know that sounds crazy, but the people that he's gone to points with, you know, I don't think they were on Liam Smith's level. And I think that there is question marks over Saddam Ali's chin. Not that it wasn't a brilliant win, because it really was, but I think you can get a little bit carried away with how genuine this guy's power is. Because before that, he didn't have one recognisable name on his whole record. So... I'm going to give Liam Smith the credit here and say I think it goes to points. I think Liam Smith will you know, will do really well to win on points over there. So I think it's going to be Mungir on points. But um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that the listeners are right and Liam Smith just completely steamrolls him and knocks him out. But it is a real tough ask and he is the underdog. There's no secret about that. So all the very best to Liam Smith on his quest to try and win back his world title. Moving over now, though, to the final bill to mention. It's happening at the FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee, USA. One fight to mention on this bill, really, it's topping the bill. Uh, former world champion Demarcus Corley, 51-30 and 30 with one draw. He fights for the vacant American Boxing Federation Continental America's Super Lightweight title. Boy, oh boy. He takes on Vivian Harris, 32-12 and 12 with two draws. Certainly a man that's over the hill. Both of them very much over the hill. It could make for a terrible fight or an absolute cracker of a fight. But that is going to be a 12-rounder there. All the very best to both men there. And that really wraps up the previewing. Like I say, we've done the reviewing. We brought you the first guest. I as delivered in the news part of the show. We've just wrapped up the previewing. Just before we wrap up part two and finish the show, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of the top super middleweight contenders in world boxing. It's, of course, the mama's boy, Mr. Dennis Duglin. Dennis, welcome back on the show, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So, Dennis, of course, we last spoke in November, actually, November 2017. It was the week before the Anthony Durrell fight. That fight um, ended under some real quite 
bizarre circumstances, to say in the least. Um, please, just for those for those that may not know, can you just walk us through what exactly happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, in my opinion, I was winning the fight, um, wearing him down. He was I think he wasn't expecting such a tough fight with me. I, I guess he thought he was going to come in and just beat me up or something. But um, it was like round six. I think I was ahead. Of, I feel like I was ahead. And when I watched the fight, and everyone tells me they, they had me winning the fight, um, he complains about a headbutt. And no one saw it. The referee didn't see it. You can't see it on any type of tape. You watch the fight over. There's no headbutt. But he complains about a headbutt, which he, got, he says he got a cut. But it was from a punch. He complains to the ref. The ref says, okay, he got a headbutt. They stop the fight, and they um they go to the scorecards, and he wins on the scorecards. But like I said, no one thinks that he won. I feel like he took the quick way, easy way. I wish he known to do the Durrell brothers are known to do and um I've been asking for a rematch but he refuses to acknowledge me or anything he blocked me on Instagram blocked me on Twitter so <laughs> it just seems so crazy I mean um the the one picture I've seen of the cut I don't know if the cut worsened but I remember seeing a picture at the time and someone I think had took the picture from their TV um obviously it wasn't you know the fight wasn't shown over here and that cut it literally looked about um, I'm trying to think of something as small as that, maybe like a staple. It was that small. I, I just yeah, don't understand. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was extremely small. And he was trying to blink, make it, he was trying to blink harder to make the cut bleed more. The cut was over his eye, wow. so it didn't, like, it didn't, it wasn't in his eyes. He could see fine. He did, he blinked a bunch to make it bleed a little bit more so they could stop the fight. Then he's doing backflips after the fight. Like, how are you doing backflips? You know, you want to rush to the, to get your eyes stitched up because you're complaining about the eye hurting so bad. But um, I lost a lot of respect for him in that fight because I feel like um, he he didn't show any type of warrior, no type of contender, no type of bite down. Like once he felt like the fight was getting out of hand, he just found a way out. And unfortunately, I was in Flint, I was in his hometown, and I was on the B side, so I feel like that's why they favored him. Well, I mean that's that's very poor officiating from the referee, to be honest, to stop a fight or um or the doctor or whoever it was who made the decision. Was it was it anything to do with the doctor or was it simply just the referee? I, I think I mean I don't remember right now, but I feel like it was just the referee. The referee I brought him over to the doctor. I mean I think the doctor asked him if he could see. He said he said he couldn't see, but it's clear that he can see because the cut was over again over his eye, so he can clearly see. But um, like I said, they were just trying to help him find his way out. I wonder if he even needed stitches. I wonder if he just put a plaster over it. That's crazy. He probably did. Put a, he put a Band-Aid on and probably went to a party. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, <laughs> le- leaving that in the past. Um, I remember, I remember actually in the build-up to that fight, I said to you on that interview, I said that there's a guy in the Darrell camp that is just there to make dog noises. You thought I was joking, but he's a true person. <laughs> Yeah, I heard him. He was there barking the entire time. The weigh-in, the press conference, everything. I don't even know what his name is or anything, or, or even who he is, even if he's got an identity. Yeah, I don't, but I remember saying yeah, I don't to know you, who he is either. I remember saying to you at the time, and you actually thought I was joking, and you kind of awkwardly laughed, and then, of course, you met the, the half-human, half-dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> leaving that fight there in the past, though, like I say, um, um, you know, obviously... Two back-to-back losses is quite a serious thing. You know that. You've said a few times now yeah. you simply cannot afford to lose again, especially, you know, three times in a row. Um, it's been nine months since that Darrell fight. You've you've waited um, quite a while. I wanted to ask you, have you waited this long because you want to be in, you know, in good shape and, and, you know, in better physical form and also mental form, or is it just simply 
not really the way you wanted it. Did did no fights come? Yeah, it's, not, it's this, not the way I wanted. You wanted to get not out the way so. I wanted it at all. Um, yeah, I wanted to fight it as soon as possible. I was ready to get back in the ring. Within we went back to training the next day, so I was ready to get back in the ring as soon as possible. But um, we got offered a couple of fights. The opponents turned me down. And um, that's just been the story of what's been going on with me. Um, there's been a kid, Damone Nicholson, who's calling me out. He got the fight. They got them to over him to fight. He said no. And then I mean, the list goes on with a bunch of fighters that just turn me down back to back to back. So that's been the issue, finding someone to say yes. It's getting to the point where I was telling my management, don't even ask me if I'm going to fight. Make sure they'll fight me first because I've been wanting to fight for a while now. It's just that's been the biggest problem. Demond Nicholson. Now, I've heard the name before. I think I've seen one of his fights. Is he the guy who had the Yeah, he fought, Je- he fought Jesse Hart. Yeah, that was a weird one as well. That was a weird way. Yeah, he quit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, quit. he quit and he got, on, he got on Twitter right after he quit and started talking to me again. I'm like, bro, focus on yourself and get your 30 days in before you start talking reckless again. Yeah. That was that was that was unbelievable. <laughs> that fight actually, um, yeah. <laughs> even the referee. I remember he started counting, and then he and then <laughs> it was crazy. The referee started counting. The referee, the referee gave, like, gave, gave him like gave like a twenty count. seconds. Yeah, I think it was yeah, <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, yeah, you do now have a date though. Of course, August the fourth is the date at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. You'll be fighting Vaughn Alexander, who has a record of twelve and zero. Eight of those, um, eight of those quick. Personally, I don't, I don't think many people know too much about Vaughn, aside from the obvious fact that he's Devin Alexander's brother, and of course the, uh, you know, the fact he went to jail for eleven years. But aside from that, boxing wise, do you know much about him at all? No, I don't. Um, I just know exactly what you told, what you just said, and then um, the stuff that's on YouTube. That's about it. I don't really know anything about him. Yeah, no. I mean, there's, there's. I've seen a couple of his fights. I don't think he's uh, the easiest man to kind of get footage of, though. I think he's one of those guys where, like I say, he had a few fights and then, um, you know, he went to jail and, like I say, came back out, resumed his career. I think two of his, two or three of his twelve fights, you know, two or three of his, of his twelve opponents. I think they actually fought him on their debut and then have never fought since for years so he's he's had a few strange <laughs> a few strange ones on there um he got, a, he got a couple of cab drivers yeah a couple of guys a couple of yeah, a couple of guys from the street um you know you've said a few times now like i say if you were to lose again you've even gone as far to say if you were to lose you'd you'd call it a day you'd retire from boxing how true is that statement and does it apply to this upcoming fight Yes, that, that's a hundred percent accurate. If I lose again, I'm gonna hang up the. I'm gonna hang up my. I'm the gloves. I mean, seven losses is way too much in my opinion. I feel like I'm a fighter with the ability to have gone undefeated, but I made some bad decisions, which got me at, to this point. And um, seven losses would just be too much for me. I just feel like I need to focus on um other things just to get myself in a good position to make sure I can give my provide everything for my daughter. So. If I lose again, and that's this fight, never fight on. Next time I lose, I'm gonna retire. But again, I don't feel I'm gonna lose anytime soon because I have great. I've been working hard, um, and I just have a different mindset. I don't think Vaughn can beat me. I know Vaughn can't beat me. So um, I'm 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 real confident about moving forward. Absolutely. Now I want to get your opinion on a couple. But yeah, of other but fights. if I lose though, if I lose, I'm gonna become a trainer. <laughs> really? Those who can't do teach. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have the fallback plan, I guess. Um, 
but, <laughs> but you know you don't want to think about that too much i know that you you know no, it's I'm, just I'm, in the background. Just saying, I'm not doing that definitely <laughs> Um, I want to I want to get your opinion on a couple of other fights. Um, um, just okay. just just before we wrap it up, Dennis. Um, like I say, last time you gave your opinion, <laughs> it wasn't the it wasn't it the was best terrible. opinions. They all, they all came out. The guys that you picked to win pretty much lost shutouts almost. But anyway, we'll we'll forget that. Um, George I'm Groves. Pick all winners this time. Watch. Okay, okay. okay. I, I, I'll remind you in six months' time or so when we speak again. <laughs> when we speak again, George Groves will be All fighting right. Callum Smith in the final of the Super Middleweight World Boxing mm. Super Series. Like I say, you picked Chris Eubank Jr. to beat Groves last time. Um, who wins the final, though? Difficult fight. Yeah, it is a difficult fight to pick. And you know what, George is honestly impressed me with this tournament. He looked great, man. Yeah. And then I think Carlos Smith is a great fighter as well. So it's a tough fight for me to pick. I'm gonna go with Groves for the experience, but that's a tough one. I might be wrong in that one. I'm gonna go with George Groves though for the experience. I mean he's been in the ring with with everybody and um I just think I'm gonna go with George Groves. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with that, to be honest. In your last fight, of course, you took on Anthony Durrell. The fight before that, you fought David Benavidez. They're now both fighting each other on September the 8th. Who wins that and how? I think it's a real big step up for Benavidez. <laughs> Benavidez wins by a landslide. David Benavidez destroys Anthony Durrell, in my personal opinion. And I'm actually in the gym with um, Benavidez right now because um, I've actually, I recently started working with Jose Benavides, his father, a little bit alongside of my mom. So I've been working and sparring with David and um I the way the way he works and his boxing ability and me knowing Anthony Durrell himself, um, I don't see that going twelve rounds. I mean that'd be a real big statement. Like I say, he's you know, he's surely gonna be the biggest name on Benavidez's record. Um Yeah. How did the link up happen though with 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 yourself and um, it's Jose Benavidez Senior, right? Jose Benavidez, yes. So um, they came to Vegas because they just moved to Vegas and Benavidez originally had a fight with a southpaw, so I heard they were looking for southpaw work, and um, we just reached out like because I wanted to spar Benavidez just to show him how lucky he was that he fought me when I was out of shape. So I went, I went over there with a chip on my shoulder. I was like, oh, let's get to sparring so I could show him I'm not the same guy that he fought. So we reached out, we got this far, and then I went over there. And to be honest with you, like, his whole family, well, his dad, his brother, himself as well, everybody over there just were extremely humble and 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 appreciative of the sparring. And it was it felt like no bad blood. So after we sparred, it was great sparring. Um, we sat down and talked, and Jose said that he thought that I was a great fighter and I did really well against David, just got tired. And we just built a little report from there, kept sparring. And from there, it just turned into him asking um, him feeling like he could bring something else to the table and help us out a little bit in camp. And like I said, I, I just like his vibe and the whole camp's vibe. And we started working together. And I, I mean, I, I like it a lot so far. Yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Jose Benavidez Sr. Obviously, um, you know, the trainer of David Benavidez. David Benavidez never lost a fight in the amateurs. He's, you know, he's still undefeated in the pros. He's never lost a boxing match in his life. And then, obviously, Jose Benavidez himself, Jose Benavidez Jr., um, just coming off a brilliant win a few weeks back, and he's undefeated as a pro. I'm not sure how he how he got on in the amateurs, but, you know, a brilliant trainer there, father. So I'm glad it's working well for you. Um you know, it's not too long now to wait. I think it's just under two months now till we see the rematch, Triple G against Canelo, Dennis. How do you see that one unfolding? Who do you want to win and who do you think is going to win? 
I, I see Canelo winning this one. Um, yeah, I think Canelo won the first one. He outboxed him, in my opinion. And I think it's going to be same thing, if not a little bit more decisive this time. I think we're going to see triple. Um, Canelo but you see, like, obviously, you know, this, this whole meat scandal and all that, it's put a lot of people off of Canelo personally. Like, they're like, I don't want him to win. Do you, even though you think he's going to win, do you actually want him to win? Because even though I kind of think he might win, I don't want him to win. <laughs> see, uh, well, I, don't, I don't know what's going on with that, with the, um, with that whole meat thing. So I don't like to give my opinion based off. What I'm not 100 percent sure. I will say when I did spark Canelo, I did say to my mother, I was like, "Oh my God, this man hits so hard." So when that when that news did come out, I'm like, "Dang, is that why he hits so hard? Because he's doing that?" So I would, if someone told me that he was on it for real, like on some stuff for performance enhancement, I could go, I could believe it, but I don't know. So I know it will towards him, and if they can't prove that he's doing anything. I think there's a lot of boxers doing stuff with, um, um, under the radar that then they get away with it. So I look at it as they don't get caught, man. It sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And finally, Dennis, just before I let you go, um, like I say, I haven't had that many questions for you, really. I just wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to say anything you like. If I haven't perhaps asked you something that you wanted me to ask you, just, you know, if if, if there's anything you want to say at all, just take it away, my friend. Uh, no problem. Um, I just want to say, I mean, I hope everybody stay um, safe tuned. August 4th, man, definitely going to beat this boy up. Like I said, um, I'm putting my career online for this fight. And every fight following this fight, the next time I lose will be the last time you see me in the ring. So I don't plan on losing anytime soon. Um, we've, take, we've taken a different mindset when it comes to training as far as this fight goes. Like I said, um, not really, not really training that hard, honestly. I'm having a good time and enjoying myself, having fun. But um, I think everyone's going to be happy with what they see when it comes to me and the, the activity I bring to the ring, the energy I bring to the ring, the character, everything. So I'm excited. Absolutely, my friend, absolutely. But like I say, I wish you all the very, very best in your quest to get the win. Um, all the best for August the 4th. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, sir. Thank you for your time, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after. All right, sounds good. Thank you again, man. Okay, and this wraps up episode 144 of the Box Hard Podcast. Thank you all once again for tuning in and making this the number one boxing podcast on the net. I have been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the super middleweight contender Dennis Duglin and the undefeated IBF lightweight world champion, Mr. Robert Easter Jr. While we've been recording this show, some more news has been broken. We mentioned earlier that Kel Brook is out of his fight against Brandon Cook on July 28th, but in steps Sam Eggington to replace Kell Brook, so it's going to be now Sam Eggington versus Brandon Cook on that White Parker undercard on July 28th. Also, Gavin McDonald will now be challenging Daniel Roman, that is Eddie Hearn's new signing. That fight will be taking place on October 20th in California for Roman's WBA World Super Bantamweight title. All the very best of course to our very own Gavin McDonnell, Terry Flanagan and Ryan Blue Chip Martin have also been added to the 140 World Boxing Super Series Tournament. What a tournament that is going to be. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 47, I as on 50, but you the listeners in the lead on 51. Enjoy your weekends people, thank you all for listening and we will catch you all next week.